can't go wrong singing about Jesus. Does anybody need a copy of the sermon notes this morning? If you need a copy, slip your hand up real quick. Everybody good to go? All right, last service, we, were, we went a little long, so take your shoes off, get comfortable. It might be a little long this morning. Been in the book of Mark now since the beginning of the year, and we're going to be in Mark for a very long time. And Marion, thank you for playing the guitar this morning. She sang the special. She did a lot of work there. And so Michael took his one Sunday off of the year playing the guitar. He only gets one off a year. He signed a contract. He doesn't know he signed a contract, no. But he, um, he and Annette, I'm glad that they got to get away, and so that's a good thing. And so this morning, Mark chapter number 3. I have always been, I love sports. I know lately, one thing that our world just needs to do a better job of, we don't need to be mixing sports and politics together. Just play ball. Don't, don't mix the two together. I still am a sports fan, and there might be some of you in here that have been tuned out to sports because of some of the craziness with it, but I still love sports, and if you judge me for that, you can do that, but, you know, give, have a little bit of grace. You have your things. I have my things, and uh, I'm, I love baseball. I love football. Um, Al, I'm an Angels fan, and uh, I was talking to your daughter the other day, and uh, Russ and I went to our first game on Tuesday. And uh, tickets are pretty expensive right now to get in, but because Russ has a wheelchair, all those seats are pretty much open. $11 tickets we got. And so we got to go Tuesday night, and it was freezing. And if you know Russ at all, he will not leave a game till the 10th inning, even if there is no 10th in inning. And he wants to be there two hours before the game. That's just how he is. I think that morning he got up at 5 in the morning ready to go to the game. It didn't start till 6.30 at night. He loves, he's just a, he's a fan. He's a big-time Angels fan. And in fact, I call him more a follower of the Angels than even a fan. And you'll see where I'm going in a few minutes with the message this morning. I, I love sports. Always have, probably always will. My parents were not big on sports at all. They actually started liking sports after I liked it. But um, my oldest brother, he's 21 years older than me, I got my love for sports from him. He's the one who taught me how to play sports, football, basketball, whatever the case may be. And so his teams were my teams. So you wonder where I got my like for my teams. I've been a Laker fan since I was a young boy. You say, why the Lakers? Well, when I was five years old, the first game I watched, it was the year after Magic Johnson quit playing the first time. Showtime was no time. It was bad during that time. So I did not become a Laker fan when they were very good. I'm talking about the years of, uh, you could talk about Nick Van Exel. Um, you got tons of people you could talk about. Eldon Campbell, um, Cedric Sabalos. I could go through, I, I'm just like seven years old and know all these players. And I know a lot of my friends became Laker fans near 2000 when they won a championship. But I remember Kobe airballing a free throw in a playoff game against Utah. I remember the disappointment of them never getting very far and thinking they're going to get Phil Jackson, what's going to happen? And then they win a championship. It's amazing how many fans come out of the woodwork when the team starts winning. But I was a fan long before that time, and really a follower of the Lakers. 2000s, they did well for a few years. They fell off the scene for a while. And the fans were the ones who would complain. Boo, at halftime, if they weren't doing as well as they thought they should do. But they're my team stick with my team. They won again, and that was good back in 2010. Then they fell apart for a while, and then they won last year. 
My, the message this morning is, are you a fan of Jesus Christ or are you a follower? There are a lot of fans, but life gets a little tough and we see, we see where you want to go. Talk about the lady that wrote the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. She was a follower of Jesus. Because though the tough times came, she followed and faithfully followed him. Are you a fan of Jesus today, or are you a follower? Let's look at our text this morning, and we'll dive right in. Mark chapter number 3, verse number 7. Scripture says, but Jesus withdrew himself. Now, what, what, what happened right before this? Remember last week? He healed the man with the withered hand. The Pharisees didn't like that. They were just waiting to catch Jesus do something. And Jesus questioned them about it. And as we, we talked about last week, the having a humble heart or having a hard heart. So the Pharisees leave. They go team up with the Herodians. And they're seeking how they're going to kill Jesus, what they can do. So at this time, Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea. And from Jerusalem and from Iodium and from even Jordan, beyond Jordan. And they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude. Now, when the Bible repeats a phrase, within that short of time, this was a big group of people. It's not a Baptist preacher writing this, and they exaggerate. How was your attendance? We had untold multitudes today. Baptist preachers can't exaggerate. The Word of God doesn't exaggerate things. So it says a great multitude, that meant, and it says it twice, there were a lot of people. Keep on reading here, it says, and when they had heard, and it says, when they heard what things he did came unto him. Why did the great multitude come to Jesus? Because they heard what he did for people. Do you see that right there? And it says in verse number nine, and he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. So Jesus is going to speak to the crowds. But because they're all pressing to get to him, he wants to be on a little boat in the water a little space away. Say, well, why is that? Well, you got to keep reading to find out. Look at the next verse. For he had healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him, as many as had plagues. So people are crowding around Jesus, and they're just trying to just, just touch him. And then you've got the other side of it in verse number 11. The unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. So you've got people that are falling down before him. You've got those that are trying to reach over. It was quite a crowd. There was no six feet of social distancing in this crowd. And nothing you could do could help this crowd. It was crowded. So Jesus gets into the water a little bit. That's the only way he had a little bit of space. They were up in his personal space, a little too close. To keep on reading, it says, and he straightly charged them that they should not make him known, the demons. And I've talked about that before, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But look at what happens from there. And he goeth up into a mountain, and called unto them whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they, that they should be with him, that he might send them forth to preach, and have power to heal sickness, and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter. And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, he surnamed them Boanerges, 
which is the sons of thunder. What a name. I'm going to tell you in a minute why they were called the sons of thunder. It, was not, it could have been they had booming voices, but there's another explanation, which I'll give you in a few moments. Um, and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into an house. A great multitude comes because he's healing and casting out devils. Then he calls these 12 to go with him up into the mountain. And he sets them apart and calls them for a specific task. Are you a fan of Jesus today? Are you in it today for what you can get from him? Or are you a faithful follower of his? That's the message this morning. You're going to see the points are very simple today. They're not very complicated. But you'll see some things that hopefully will help us grow to be followers and not just fans. Father, we pray you bless the next few minutes this morning. We need your help. Thank you for your love, for your mercy and your grace. Bless your people. Bless the time that we have. And all that's said and done, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We, um, one announcement I forgot to make, be in prayer for Mark Walker, and uh, he leads our choir. He had some chest pain last night, and he's, part of his, part of his heart technically is dead already, and so it's very concerning if he has any chest pain. So far, everything's came back good, but he went to get checked just in case, so be in prayer for him and Mona. Mona's with her daughter and granddaughter on a little getaway this weekend, and so, and if you know Mona, she hears that about Mark, she's freaking out. I know Mona very well, so be in prayer for um, And because of that, there's no choir practice tonight. Um, we still do have kids' choir. Kids' choir, I've been having fun with them. I don't know if they're having fun. I don't know what they tell you. As I've, I don't get a ton of time with the kids, so it's actually been a great time. We're going to meet in here tonight because they sing next Sunday for you. And so we're going to meet in here, and uh, we'll practice lining up, and we'll sing 520 tonight. We'll do that. So that's all of that. Um, yesterday, being a chaplain for the city of Chino, I got to go help, and I got to see Julio and Bridget out there. Th did you guys even recognize me? And I got a good picture. Bridget got of me trying, uh, putting Julio's hands behind his back. I was in uniform and everything. <laughs> she told me to take him to jail, but I couldn't do that. But um, the city had a car show yesterday, a classic car show. The county only was giving them a permit for a certain amount of cars, and we'll just say there were about 900 cars that showed up and people everywhere. And I know in the COVID day that we live, if you're one of those that don't like hearing about big crowds, then you should not have been there. That should, that's not for you. I loved it. First off, there's nothing like smelling the exhaust on some of those old cars. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, our I wish our governor could have been there just to just, you know, What's going to happen in 50 years when uh, they make it that you can only have electric cars and they have a classic car show? You're going to have to plug all these. You're going to have to have electrical outlets everywhere to plug in these classic things that hover in. What I don't know how it's all going to work, but, um, man, I, I loved hearing the engines. I, love, I loved it all. It seemed like something normal after a year and a couple months. And, and like I said, if you don't like that, that's totally fine. And then you shouldn't go to something like that. And you got to do what is best for you and what makes you and your family comfortable. There's no judgment on that. And make sure you don't. Because someone does something different than you doesn't mean that they're wrong. You, you have grace with people. And let people be how they need to be for themselves. 
there were a lot of people out there, a big multitude of people. You know, the largest group of people ever to go to the Kentucky Derby was 170,513 in 2015 for the Kentucky Derby. The largest college football game, the most attended fans ever to go to a game. And I was surprised. I would have thought it would have been like Michigan and Ohio State, but it was against Tennessee and Virginia Tech in 2016. 156,900 fans. That's a lot of people. Um, the largest rock concert ever was in Copacabana Beach in 1994, 3.5 million people. The largest religious gathering ever recorded was between 30 and 80 million. They don't even know how many people. And it was a 55-day um, Hindu practice of bathing in a river to have their sins washed away sev back several years ago. And they don't even, there was a ton of people that came through that time. How many of you like crowds? Well, let's, let's talk pre-COVID, okay? Because even now, sometimes I get in a room, there's a lot of people like, just don't breathe, get out. You know, that's, it's, just, it's just a weird, it's a weird feeling because you got to get back. And that's one of the crazy things. But how many of you liked crowds? How many of you have never liked crowds? How many of you don't care either way? You could have it either way. I don't care. But one of the reasons the, a multitude or a crowd, the definition is this. A large number of people gather together, typically in a disorganized or unruly way. So most of you, like, I am fine with crowds, but go in my office. I'm not organized at all. Some of you organized fanatics, yeah, you would have a hard time with a crowd because you need order in your life and things like that. So that could be why you don't like crowds. Jesus drew a lot of crowds. In the book of Mark alone, multitudes, crowds, that 34 times it's mentioned in the book of Mark. And so he drew crowds where he went. And as we look at this, it's interesting to note that Jesus just was trying to withdraw himself from the crowds. He was trying to get away with the disciples. But the crowds followed him. And aren't you glad that Jesus cared about the crowds? He could have said, this is my time. I don't want you here. But no, we see over and over again, he had compassion on the crowds. And he would teach to them. He also fed them at times. And as we look at this this morning, you see that this phrase says it was a great multitude or a great crowd. Twice it mentions that. People traveled from all over the place. It says here, some people lived nearby because it was in Galilee area, right? So people in Galilee came. You also see Jerusalem and Judea, Tyre and Sidon. That would have been, that would have taken some time to get there. It's not like you could hop in a car and go see Jesus or hop on a train or a plane. It would take days to travel to get there, a day or two, whatever the case may be. And then it says Iodium there. That's the area where Esau's relatives lived, the descendants of Esau. So all types of people were coming, and, there was, and it, beyond the Jordan River, they traveled long ways to get to Jesus. Think about this. No social media. No news. No cell phones. You know, someone couldn't text and say, hey, I just saw Jesus. He's here. Come see him. News spread quickly all over the place that Jesus was there. A great multitude came. But why did they come? They came for two reasons. They heard what he did. The first thing that he did was this. He healed many with diseases. If you were sick and you heard that this man was healing people, you would go too. 
can't hurt, right? Isn't that, that's my first thought. It can't hurt. If this guy is healing, it can't hurt. Maybe he can heal me. He healed many with diseases. You notice he didn't heal all with diseases. So why did he choose to heal some and not choose others? There are some things that we will never fully understand or comprehend. But it's not our job to understand everything about God. It's our job to trust him. He knows what's best for us even when we don't. He healed many with diseases. And it says in verse number 10, Therefore he had healed many in so much that they pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. He was being smothered by sick people. And they pressed upon him means to throw oneself to jostle. They were literally jumping to get to touch him even. He healed many with diseases. The second thing they did was he freed many with demons. Verse 11 tells us, And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. Isn't it interesting that the demons even knew that he was the Son of God, but the Pharisees couldn't figure that one out? Yeah, you see that. And so, and look at what the Bible says, and he straightly, and they cry out saying, Thou art the Son of God, and he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. The disease pressed upon him, the demon eyes were falling down before him, and falling down before that shows the power of Jesus Christ. And as we look at this, why did he tell, why didn't he let the demon speak? There are two reasons. Because one of the ideas of that day, a common belief was that the knowledge of one's precise name showed mastery over that person. So by stating his title, thou art the Christ, it's like they had some power over him. That's one of the things of that day. And so that didn't work out very well for him, did they? They fell down before him. The second reason is, how many of you want a demon testifying about you? I don't need the testimony of a demon. Jesus didn't need the testimony of a demon. Those lives that have been changed, those are the testimonies that should be given. And he charged them that they shouldn't say anything. Jesus had compassion on the crowds. He cared for individuals. His heart was on individuals, but he cared about the crowds. We live in a world today full of social media. Now, let's be honest this morning. How many of you like social media? Would you raise your hand? How many of you don't like social media? Would you raise your hand? How many of you, whatever. See, God doesn't want you hot or cold. I mean, he wants you hot or cold. He doesn't want you lukewarm. So you can't just be, eh, whatever. You either got to like social media or you don't. I'm just giving you a hard time this morning. But on social media, it's very easy. I listened to a podcast last week of a guy that I've never met before, and he's on Facebook. And this is weird to me, and maybe it's different for you, but I listened to a podcast about this guy, and then on Facebook, as a suggested like, is that guy's name. I do not know how that works. I don't know. I don't know. There's something fishy about that, but that's just me thinking out loud. So I and I like this guy's page and I sent a friend request. I am going to, I liked his page. Does that mean I know everything about him or I'm going to be a deep follower of his? No. I just liked it. Someone will post a picture on Instagram and I'll like them sometimes. In fact, I get more teenagers mad at me based on that. You didn't like my post. I don't like hardly any posts because I don't really look at them that close. You know, I, I scroll through every once in a while. But how many of you like people to like your stuff? How many of you? Come on. 
Some of you like people like your stuff, and then some people just don't care. Let's see how it is. Social media can be a good thing, and it can be a bad thing. You're using it for good things, it's great. You're using it for bad things, then it's not a great thing. It's all about how you use it. Isn't that how it is with everything in life? Sometimes I hear people, all social media is of the devil. You can really get the gospel to a lot of people through social media that you couldn't in past times. But also you could cause a fire of gossip to spread everywhere under the sun very quickly as well. Or cause a fight with someone. So there are blessings and good things from it and there are bad things. So try to use social media for the good. And if you can't control yourself to use it for the good and not the bad, then don't have it. And be willing to own that and move forward with it. But as we look at the message this morning, we see a huge multitude of people that came to Jesus for what he could do for them. And then we see 12 that he called to be apostles that he's going to send out to change the world. There was a difference between the multitude of people and the 12. Are you a fan of Jesus today? Or are you a follower? We get to the meat of the message this morning. And I read a book several years ago. And there's a section of that book that I keep, that I read often to myself. And Kyle Eidelman wrote it. It's called Not a Fan. Anybody ever read that book? Anybody read that book? I would encourage every Christian to read the book, Not a Fan. I'm going to read you one excerpt from the book. And then we're going to get back to the Bible and get to the message this morning. From the book, it says, It may seem that there are many followers of Jesus, but if they were honest to define the relationship they have with him, I'm not sure it would be accurate to describe them as followers. It seems to me that there is a more suitable word to describe them. They are not followers of Jesus. They are fans of Jesus. My concern is that many of our churches in America have gone from being sanctuaries to becoming stadiums. And every week all the fans come to the stadium where they cheer for Jesus, but have no interest in truly following him. One of the biggest threats to the church today are fans that call themselves Christians, but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits but not so close that it requires anything of them. One of the reasons our churches can become fan factories is that we have separated the message of believe from the message follow. As I mentioned, get the book, not a fan. Read it. Be a good read. And if you don't like reading, audibles, you can get it there and you can just listen to it. I, lo I love listening to books. And, uh, and for me, I, I love reading the Bible. I've never been a huge reader, where I just, as a kid, like my kids, my wife comes from a family of 13 kids, they lived in Minnesota, I don't even know if they had electricity growing up, <laughs> so they read books all the time, and I just, it was never my strong suit to read, and that's just me, and I, I do, I have to, and I have to do things, but I don't love reading. My kids are learning to love to read, and I love that. I think everyone should read and read and read. But one of the things that helps me never loving to read is having it read to me and reading at the same time. If I get the most I get out of my Bible reading, 
I'm listening to it being read. I'm not listening to it being read doing five billion different things because then you're really not getting anything out of it. I read along as it's reading to me, and it helps me so much more. It takes a lot longer, but man, I get so much more out of it. This passage we're reading this morning, I listened to it probably 35 times, hand on the verse and listening to it 35 times before the sermon was ever going to be preached. Reading is a good thing. I don't know where that all came from, but that came out. When Jesus withdrew himself, the crowds came. Verse 13 tells us of our text here that he goeth up into a mountain. Is it stuffy in here this morning? Is it, is it stuffy? I feel like it's a little stuffy. Everyone, anybody hot? Anybody cold? Anybody just right? The just rights have it. And do you know what happens when everyone's just right? No, that's when that happens right in the middle of the message there. And so, but it's all right. So they, Jesus takes them up on this mountain here, and verse 13 says, He goes up into a mountain and called unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. They hike up the mountain, similar to what Moses did when he called the leaders of Israel in Exodus chapter 24. And uh, the Bible even tells in the book of Luke, chapter, number thir- chapter 6, verse 13, just the fact that um, he called his disciples, and the verse right before this let us know that he prayed all night about it before he called them. And as he called them, I want you to understand something. It's interesting to note, in those days, when John the Baptist had followers, people listened to John the Baptist, they enjoyed his preaching, his teaching, and what they do? They followed him. You did not have the master, the rabbi, or the leader call who he wanted to have come. They would just come and follow. But we see the fact that Jesus calls these men to go with him. Reminds me of a couple verses and a couple thoughts, and then we'll dive into the three points and be done. Is this, the first verse is John 6, 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last days. Let's talk about salvation for a minute. Sometimes as Christians, we're going to be talking about witnessing in a little bit this morning. Sometimes we get the idea that we save people. You've never saved anybody in your life. Well, maybe physically you have. Maybe someone was drowning and you gave them CPR. I get that, so I can't say it that way. But when someone comes to the Lord, you did not, you give the message, the Lord's the one who does the work. And let's just make sure that as you witness and share the gospel, God doesn't need you to be a salesman. I think some Christians are very good salesmen. God doesn't need a salesman because either the Lord's working there or he's not. And the Lord, no man is going to come to Jesus except the Father draw him. And I've had people say, Pastor, I just want this relative to get saved. You can want it all day long, and I want it for you too. I don't want anybody to die without the Lord. But maybe the timing's just not right. You've got to let the Lord do his work. Think about John chapter 15. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. And ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. So as we look at this this morning, you've got to understand something. We really don't choose him. He chose us, right? Book of Ephesians makes that clear. He hath chosen us before the foundation of the world. Think about that one. So, well, if he's chosen us, how does free will play with all of that? Go back and listen to my series on the book of Ephesians. I don't have time this morning or else we'll be here till 2 this afternoon. I don't think you want that this morning. 
Let's look at the model ministry of Jesus and what he did. Look at this, verse number 14. We'll dive in three points, be on our way. Verse 14, and he ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. The word ordain means to make, which shows his plan is to mold and to make these guys ready to do the job. What did those three years of time that these 12 were close to him let me just remind you, there was one that wasn't even saved, that had a devil in him. Because you go to church or just because you mean that you know Jesus Christ. And if you're trusting in something other than Jesus Christ for your salvation, you need to trust Jesus Christ and him only. Not of works, lest your works can't get you there. Jesus Christ is who we trust and we put our faith in him. It's faith that justifies and a dead person doesn't even have faith. He gives us the faith. Think about that one. We could, we could go down a whole rabbit hole on all of those things this morning. But when we look at this passage here and when we think about it, he was going to make them to be the ones that turn the world upside down. That's what that time was about. Do you realize he still uses people today just like he did with the disciples? He chose you before the foundation of the world. There are some principles found in this passage. You've got to understand something. We're not apostles today, okay? An apostle was called by Jesus himself. The last known apostle was Paul because Jesus literally came to him on Damascus Road and called him. Paul sets out what it takes to be an apostle. So the last real apostle was there. I know we hear of apostles so-and-so around, but Paul was the last one according to Scripture if we base what we believe on Scripture. But he calls himself 12 to him. The number 12 is very significant. In the book of Revelation, the number 12 is used 22 times. When we think of 12, we think of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? The number 12, and numbers in the Bible, they have meanings to them, but the number 12, um, it refers to like governmental perfection, authority perfection is what it refers to. And so, and you think about, and we could go deeper into there, but he's going to use these 12 to turn the world upside down. Hey, this morning as we look at this, I want to give you three principles to help you not be just a fan of Jesus, but to be a faithful follower. Number one this morning, be in the presence of Jesus. Be in the presence of Jesus. Very simple. The simple, yet hard to do. And we'll talk about this here. Once you're saved, once you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, your standing with God is settled. There is nothing you and I can do that can ever separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is doing a work, and his work will be completed. God knows what he's doing. But as we state this, I want you to understand something. Look at verse number 14. It says, And he ordained twelve that they should be with him. That they should be with him. Jesus desired his followers here just to be with him. In a world of dues, Jesus begins with B. When we're with him, we learn how to love the way he would have us love. How he handles people, what his priorities are. That's the essence of Jesus' training program, to be with him. He's all about us living in relationship with him. Get this this morning. You can be as close to the Lord as you want to be today. If you want to read your Bible, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. 
you can pray today, but he doesn't make you pray. If you want to be close, you can be. You can be as draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. So you can be as close as you want to be. He desires us to be in his presence. But it takes a consistent effort on our parts. I mentioned before, I mentioned last service, this year I knew at school was going to be a more of a crazy year. I make an effort on Thursday evenings. That's my date night with my wife. I've had tons of things try to come in to take that time. Nothing takes that time. That's our time. And I think about this, and, you know, I've got to get a babysitter every week. That costs money. I can't have her make a meal for them beforehand because she's got to get ready and whatever else. So I got to buy food for the babysitter and the children. I take her out. It's an expensive thing to do every week. It costs. Is it worth it? Worth it. The things that matter in life cost. And men in the room, let me just give you a little suggestion. You dated your wife before you ever married her, and then you get married, and then you keep dating her. You keep dating your wife. And maybe you can't do it every week. Make time. Get time and your relationship. You cannot be, you will never be the man God created you to be and not have a good relationship with your wife. And hold on to that one. Every day we try and get time together. We got four kids. Kids try to drain, kids drain you. How many of you agree with that statement? And then you might have a four-year-old. We have a four-year-old. And you've ever heard the term power nap? My four-year-old really knows how to take a power nap. He can fall asleep for one minute, maybe even five, and guaranteed he will not sleep till 10 o'clock at night. Guaranteed. That's a power nap. I wish my naps could be like that. But normally we try to get the kids in bed by eight. Why? So we have some time together. We need our time together to have that relationship close. Friday nights is time with the kids. It's family night. Some weeks things go on during that time, and so I move it around in the day. But we get our time. Every day I try to be interacting in my kids' lives a lot. They need it. Sometimes the older two will go on a walk. We'll just do different things. We need, you for a relationship to grow, you've got to be together. So you go through the Christian life, and you don't ever spend time in the Word of God. You never talk to Him in prayer. You never go to church. How can you be a follower of His? You're a fan. Oh, the sermon was good, but then you don't come back for three weeks, or you put your Bible down till you come back next Sunday. I would consider that more of a fan than a follower. Are you a fan or a follower today? It takes work. If reading the Bible was easy, we'd all do it. And you could even be, and let me just stop here for a second. There are some of you, I cannot remember the last time I missed a day of reading the Bible. I'm not bragging by saying that. But then there's times where I get carried away where I'm reading it all the time that I am not really getting anything out of it. So what was the point in being able to check off a box that I read it for the day? You need good quality time with the Lord. And we could say that we're having time together and I'm just sitting watching a ball game the whole time. She's talking in one ear and I'm listening to the game. 
And uh, if you just let it pass right, you know, you got to pick and choose. What do you let stay in the middle here and what do you let go out the other side? And always whatever you say, I pick up on that. And thank God for the pause button on the TV. But um, that's not much of a relationship there. Hey, be in the presence of Jesus. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 13, verse number 4, The soul of the slugger desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Can I encourage you this morning to deepen your relationship with the Lord? Spend time in His Word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in worshiping Him daily. And one of the things that you've got to realize is, and I try to teach my kids this, our teenagers at church, you are who you hang around, right? Sometimes you'll see different tendencies and things, and sometimes it's the things that we pick up from those that we hang around. You know one of the big problems with Christians today? They don't spend time with Jesus. And that's why we fight and bicker all the time. That's why we do a lot of the things that we do, because we just don't spend any time around the one who can make everything better. The apostles in Acts chapter 4, in verse number 13 now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Co-workers, could they tell this week you've been with Jesus? Does your spouse know that you've been with Jesus? Do your children know that you've been with Jesus? Does your church family know that you've been with Jesus? Oh, I just, I just play the part when I come to church. A lot of Christians do. But he knows can't play games with him are you a fan this morning or are you a follower a follower gets time with jesus number two a follower goes and proclaims jesus go and proclaim jesus what did jesus tell them here it says there in verse number 14 then he ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach the word send them forth is where the root word for apostle comes from. An apostle is a sent one. The word preach means to act as a herald, to sound forth the message of a king. And our job as believers is to, as we have our relationship with the Lord, we're going to want to tell people. Something good happens in your life, you want to tell people about it. Your favorite player does something well in sports, you call and tell a buddy or text him about it. He's chosen us. We need to be in his presence. Number two, we need to go and proclaim. There are four ways that Christians respond to the world around us. I want you to just think on these four and then we'll dive through and get through. The first way is through ice, they isolate. Now, there have been times in human history and times just in the past 2,000 years where there have been groups of Christians that have had to isolate themselves for fear of persecution. You might even have that today in China and other places where they can't openly have a service. They have to isolate themselves. And there are times where that has to take place. And you've got to understand some, and it's happened. I think of a, a group, the Waldensians. If you do a study on them and some of the crazy things that happened to them for their stand for the word of God. And so sometimes people isolate. Some people insulate. 
It's not easy to isolate. So some people, they insulate. What does that mean? All they do is hang around Christians all the time and no one else. This would have been like Jesus saying, okay, 12, we're just going to stay in the mountains and we're not coming down. But this is what Christians do. Christians will either isolate, they'll insulate, and, uh, or they'll imitate. You know why we imitate the world? Because we don't have time with Jesus. You imitate who you're around. We're supposed to be followers of God as children. Isn't that what the scripture tells us? We're supposed to be imitating God. As children imitate their parents, that's what that verse there in Ephesians is talking about. We're to imitate God. But the reasons why a lot of people imitate this world and the things of this world is because they don't ever have their time with God. Get your time with God. God doesn't want us to imitate the world. You can't have both ways. You can't, you can't love God and love this world. It doesn't go hand in hand. Or there's the fourth one, which is infiltrate. That's God's design. God's design is not for the Christian to isolate themselves or not to insulate with only Christians. If you only spend your time around Christians, how can you help get people to Christ? His goal is not for you to imitate the world. His goal is for us to infiltrate. That means go out into the world. That's what he wants. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Isn't that what the scripture says? He wants us to infiltrate. He want, and so what needs to happen is you don't want to mimic the things of this world. Make sure you have your time with God. Make sure that you're in his presence. And that you're showing this world what Jesus is like. But then go out and help build a bridge that gets people to God. That's what our job is, to tell people. That's what Jesus did in his ministry. He went out, even with the threat of being killed and people not liking him, he infiltrated and he got to the lost. In our increasingly secular society, it's becoming more difficult to share faith. Just in the past year, according to a book that was written on good faith, it's called, and the book is called Good Faith, Being a Christian When Society Thinks You're Irrelevant and Extreme. In the book, it says that 60% of Americans believe that if you're trying to convert someone to believe what you do, you're an extremist. Isn't that kind of crazy? And it is getting harder in some places to share your faith. Another book, or as a post I actually read, research found this was before COVID. I would hate to know what the numbers are today. Research has found only 25% of churchgoers have shared their faith once or twice in the last six months, pre-COVID. 25% of churchgoers had shared their faith no more than twice. That meant 75% didn't share it at all. We need to be sharing the good news. And I get it. Some of you in the room are like, that's not my specialty. I'm right there with you. I get so nervous talking to people. I get nervous talking in front of you. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, or whenever else I preach, I get nervous. There's, when I preach Caroline's class, her first through third graders, I do chapel once a week. And I'll be honest, it's the one time I'm not nervous preaching. Those kids love chapel. I could preach terrible and they're still going to just love chapel. I don't know why they love it so much. But it's literally the one group, the teenagers that I have, 
They intimidate me some. It happens. Don't get any ideas, but <laughs> I get nervous doing chapel for them. I get nervous with youth group. You know, right now I'm the one who helps do youth group for now, and someday, Lord willing, it won't always be that way. But I feel inadequate when I speak to them. When it comes to witnessing, I don't feel adequate. I don't feel qualified. Any of you ever feel, anybody not feel qualified? I think all of us would say that. The problem is those who think they're qualified. That's the ones you got to watch out for, the ones who always think they're qualified. But let me give you a few suggestions and then a few thoughts just underneath this thing of witnessing and sharing your faith. First one is this. It's a simple suggestion. Just do something. Do something. Begin praying and start sharing. D.L. Moody said this when someone complained about the way he shared his faith. I like the way I do evangelism better than the way you don't do evangelism. I, don't, I think that word's a pretty good right there. Just do something. You might say, Pastor, I'm scared to say a word to anyone. Grab a gospel track. Leave it on the gas pump. Say, why do we have tracks? Okay, at Easter, I gave you a track to pass out that was an invite to church. There was no gospel on there. I've got gospel tracks and gospel door hangers. The number one goal on those is just to get the gospel out. Yes, there's information about the church, but that's not the priority. The priority is just to get the gospel out. You go into the grocery store, and they're handing you your receipt. Hand them back to them. Start, just do something. Say, people scare me. Put it on their door and leave and run away. <laughs> Those ring doorbells, though, mess me up with that because now they, people know if you even do that. And uh, just do something. You know, you get one of those phone calls, one of those scams. You owe the IRS $5,000. Start witnessing to them. They might get your phone number off that list pretty quick, right? And uh, let me make sure, make sure you know something with the IRS. If the IRS, normally they don't call you, you got to call them. But they would give you their name and their badge number. And if there's no badge number, don't worry about it. So I've gotten calls from people. I, I, I owe the IRS $5,000. No, you don't. It was fake. You know. Or my dad. I owe Amazon $3,000. He called me just a few weeks ago. And he could be watching this morning or some other family could be hearing this. But I'm like, Dad, he's like, do I, ha- do, I, do I buy things on Amazon? He asked me. I said, Dad, I buy things for you from Amazon. I said, they don't have your phone number, and you have no account with Amazon. Then why did they call me? They're trying to get you. Did you give them anything? No. I hung up on them. Good job. So that, that was the best thing to do. Trying to try and help my dad that's almost turning 80 with that stuff. And so it's fun. Good stuff. And, um, but witness to them. Maybe they'll just cut you off and get off the phone, and then you can get off that list. Just do something. You say, well, I just can't put a sign out in your front yard that gives the gospel. Do something. Number two, start small. If you can't talk to someone face-to-face, don't go to a park and gather ten people together and give them the gospel. That's not going to help you. Start small. On your way out, grab one gospel track and say, this week I'm going to give out one track. Leave it on the gas pump. Say, what if no one gets it? You at least put it out there. Leave it on one door. Put it on the car next to your car. 
at the grocery store as long as they're not there. And don't scratch their car and leave the church phone number on there either. That's not smart either. But just start small. God wants us to witness, right, and to share our faith. How else is this world going to get to know Jesus Christ? He uses us to do this. Start small. Next, number three, use resources. That's why we have tracks. That's why we have a door hanger. It's to help you, give you a couple resources. There's an app, and you can write this down in your notes, it's called Commission, after the Great Commission. And it gives the simple plan of salvation. Uh, Lancaster Baptist Church in Lancaster put it out. It's a great little app. And in that app there, it has the plan of salvation there. And then it also has it in several different languages. So you talk to someone who can't, you can't tr- talk back and forth, give it in their language and let them just read it straight from your phone. Have some resources. Resources are a good thing. A great resource. The Word of God is a great resource. You can't ever go wrong witnessing with the Word of God. It would be a help. And have resources. And then next, celebrate successes. The most exciting things that have ever happened in my life. There have been several, but you know, one of the most exciting is when she actually said yes. I was scared about that. But um, there is nothing in the world like being able to help lead someone to the Lord. There's no greater joy than to see someone trust Christ. And as I mentioned, you don't save them. The Lord does. He does the work. But you had the part in sharing the gospel message. If you've never been able to share with someone the gospel, and they've never, and no, you're one of the greatest joys in life comes right there. And as the Lord works in your life and is helping you grow in your witness, share that with others. Share that with others so then that way it encourages them. Because at the end of the day, you've got to remember this isn't, you and I don't make this happen. He does. We're simply told to go and to tell, to preach, to herald it out. All of us. So start small. Just do something. Use resources and celebrate successes. And if your success was, I got to the door and no one came and I left the track. And that's your success? Praise God for that. I left on the gas pump and it didn't fall out. That's a success, right? So you don't have to have be Billy Sunday or be Billy Graham and have a crusade for thousands of people to hear the gospel. Jesus went to the woman at the well. Celebrate the successes. Rounding the finish line this morning. Thirdly, use the power of Jesus. You cannot do it on your own. We need the Holy Spirit's help. Hey, are you a fan this morning or are you a follower? A follower gets time with the Lord. A follower witnesses. And a follower does it in the Spirit's power, not in their own power. You cannot, you cannot live the Christian life and be successful in it in our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit's power. And we saw that in verse number 15. It says, And have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. Like, cool, I can cast out devils and demons and uh, heal people. We can talk more about that another time if you need me to talk about that with you. But the word power has the idea of delegate authority, permission to use power. Uh, Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
got to remember this. Whenever we are in the presence of Jesus and whenever we go and proclaim the gospel, the devil's not happy. But that's what a follower of Jesus does. As we close the sermon this morning, I know you're thinking to yourself, um, that's good for the apostles here. It's good for those 12, but it could never be me. I could never witness. I could never, I am not qualified. I could not do the things that the Lord would want me to do here. But I like how one pastor put it. Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper. David had an affair. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossip. Martha was a worrier. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. Moses stuttered. Abraham was old. And Lazarus was dead. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Look at the list of these names real quick. We're going to finish right here. We're rounding the finish line. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into a house. Sometimes we read through these names, and it's like we're reading through First Chronicles, and it's like so-and-so begat so-and-so, she got so-and-so, and you get lost in there. But there's a reason why they're listed here. And there's some truths that we can find here. But I want you, I wanted to give you some observations that might encourage you this morning. Peter is mentioned first in all the gospel accounts of who was called first. Yet he denied the Lord. And yet at times he did some great things. He also put his foot in his mouth more than any other disciple did. That gives me great encouragement for myself. Even as a leader, and the Lord used him as a leader, he failed God over and over again. James and John, the sons of, Bo, the sons of thunder, Boenerges, could have been because their voices were loud and heralded, but it's likely referring to their impetuousness, where they wanted to call down fire from heaven on the Samaritans in Luke chapter 9, verse 54. They were also prone to be selfish and wanted to sit one on the right hand and one on the left hand. And that's the inner circle of the disciples, those three. And look at the problems that they had. The next three, we know some things about Andrew, Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, some things about Matthew and Thomas, but there are a few guys here. How much do you know about James, the son of Alphaeus? Thaddeus? Simon the Canaanite? Can you tell me a lot about him? Judas Iscariot? We know a little bit about him, right? We know too much about him. But you got to understand something. This was a motley crew of misfits. These would not have been the guys that graduated from high school the most likely to succeed with Jesus. Yet these are the 12 that he brings together. These 12 are young men in their early 20s. They didn't have any sense about them yet. Most men don't in their early 20s. Most men don't in their 50s and 30s. I don't know. But there's also a great lesson to be learned that some of the older men that are in the Lord, it's your job to help train those younger men to grow up in the things of God. We see that here before our eyes. But you got to understand something. As you look at all these things, there's brothers on this list. There was natural tension on this team. Peter's a fisherman. That was his living. Who did he probably have to pay taxes to? Matthew. Who cheated Peter out of money? Matthew. Or we can mention Simon, the Cana or Simon the Zealot, hated Rome. 
Matthew is a Jew that worked for Rome. Think about all the tension that there must have been with this crew of 12. What you got to understand is something. The Lord, when he calls, he knows what he's doing. When he chooses you and he chose you before the foundation of the world, it was no mistake. He meant to choose you. He wanted you. He wanted these 12 in spite of all their failures and who they were. Imagine the resumes of these 12 disciples if Jesus was taking resumes. And, you know, think about a research firm that did some research and sent back to Jesus after they reviewed the resumes of these men. It might say something like this, Dear Sir, Dear Jesus, most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have a team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of, te of um, temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, J James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interests above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical learning, learnings and are going to have some issues with your teachings. And one of the candidates, however, shows some potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, um, responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you would success in your new adventure, find a new team, blah, blah, blah. It's literally how it would be. There's an old legend that recounts what happened when Jesus returned to heaven after his time on earth. And it's a legend. It's not fact, okay? And the angel Gabriel approached him and said, Master, you must have suffered terribly for men while you were down on earth. And Jesus said, I did. And continued Gabriel do they know all about how you love them and what you did for them? Oh no, said Jesus, not yet. Right now, only a few people in Galilee know. Gabriel was perplexed and questioned, then what have you done to let everyone know about your love for them? Jesus said, I've asked Peter, James, John, and a few of my friends to tell other people about me. Those who are told will in turn tell others and my story will be spread to the farthest reaches of the globe. Ultimately, all of mankind will hear about my life and what I've done. Gabriel frowned and looked rather skeptical. He knew full well what humans were made of. Yes, he said, but what if Peter and James and John grow weary? What if the people who come after them forget? What if way down in the 21st century people don't tell others about you? What then? Have you made any other plans? Jesus' response, I haven't made any other plans. I'm counting on them. Twenty centuries later, he has no new plan. He's counting on us to do what the disciples did and to carry the gospel to the lost and dying world around us. His method is to use men and women to do it. His plan is people like you and me. Be in the presence of the Lord. Go proclaim Jesus.
and use the power of the Holy Spirit.